The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm your host, Suzanne Phillips, and I thank you for joining us today. We have a show today that is really important for everyone. Given the political landscape and the nonstop bombardment by social media, there's been increased attention to the longstanding problem of sexual violence, mistreatment, and harassment of women. In face of this reality, we need to continue to underscore that all men are not predators. And more importantly, maybe, we need to ask, how do we raise good men? How do we educate young men about dating and sex? What do young men need to know? And what do parents need to know when talking to them? To address these questions, we're really fortunate to have as our guest, Dr. Andrew Smiler. He's the author of the important new book, Dating and Sex, a guide for the 21st century teen boy. Dr. Smiler is a licensed therapist and an expert on boys, men, and masculinity. He has a master's in clinical psychology and a PhD in developmental psychology. He's also the author of the book, Challenging Casanova, Beyond the Stereotype of the Promiscuous Young Male. He's also the co-author with Dr. Chris Gilmartin of a best-selling Introduction to Men's Studies textbook, which I'm sure is used in many, many colleges. It's called The Masculine Self. He's co-authored more than 25 articles and chapters. And his clinical practice focuses on teen boys, men of all ages, and clients of all genders and sexual orientations. Dr. Andrew Smiler, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, let's start with the... Go ahead. I was going to say thank you for that lovely introduction. I always feel like I'm running for office or something, and I'm supposed to ask people to vote after hearing all of the stuff I've done. Well, after reading the book, people might want you to run for office, Andrew. <laughs> so we're going to see what happens. Um, yeah. Now, you are, the, show, the book is not only informative, it, it's kind of uh, funny at times. You describe yourself as a young man, as quite a nerd. And I love this line. You said, when it comes to dating, I was as smooth as sandpaper. 
So I'm going to remind you that you obviously came from a place where you could have used a book like this. And I wanted you to tell us a little bit more about what actually got you to write this book. Absolutely. Um, It turns out that my experience was quite similar to many boys' experiences, as I discovered talking to my friends and later as a researcher, which is that I came home one day and found a book um, appropriately enough by Doctors Comfort and Comfort called The Joy of Sex or The Pleasure of Sex, something like that, <laughs> that had been left on the, my desk in my bedroom. And that hmm. was about all of the conversation that my mother and I had about sex or dating until I was a senior and she started asking questions like, aren't you going to go to the prom? Um, <laughs> that, 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 was, that was really the extent of our conversation. And, and sadly, that is, that is still the experience for about half of American boys. Yes, um, having, mm-hmm. so, having raised boys, you know, I would agree. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And um, certainly a lot of my, my therapy clients, both the, the adults I work with, um, whether they're, they have kids or not, and certainly the teens I work with, a lot of them say that they never talked about this, this with their parents or they don't expect to talk about this with their parents. The other um, thing that boys don't do, but you correct me, is I don't think they talk with each other either. You know, uh, girls never stop talking, but <laughs> I I think that boys don't, and then they'll go on to be sometimes in college and a fraternity, and people are saying you're going to score tonight, and they are, despite whatever we see in the media, intimidated and understandably anxious. So they really need some guidance here. Absolutely. One of the, we know that part of the dynamic in all male settings, when guys are hanging around talking to each other, and especially if it's a group of guys that are more stereotypical or more macho, we get a lot of bravado and a lot of bragging, a lot of, you know, I'd like to get with her or I'd like to get with him, depending on the group of guys we're talking about. And there's this real push to, sound sexually knowledgeable, to sound sexually experienced, and in those conversations to only talk about sex and never relationships. Um, right. These apparently, seem to, this seems to be the locker room that Trump was in. Um, mm-hmm. Most right. boys do have a more nuanced and more varied experience, um, but with current generation, um, last two generations, many of the conversations the boys are having are often with their female friends and not so much with their male friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so interesting that one of the myths we, we had, um, Rachel Hill on, on the show, she spoke about the oh, sexual I love her myth. Work. Right? And one of her one of her points was that everyone in college was under the assumption that everyone else was getting it off every weekend. And the yeah. statistics showed no. <laughs> that is just not happening. So that's the other thing. Everyone's creating the myth and perpetuating it, but no one's really talking about, as you say, like I think one of the other myths, one of the one one part of your book that is very wonderful is the common questions. And so oh, like the question about uh is everyone hooking up? Does everyone want to hook up rather than date? Do the girls want to hook up rather than date? How would I even ask for a date? So what would you say um, if to, to a young man asking that question if he could? 
Uh, I'm going to give you two answers to that. And uh, the first one is the factual answer. And, and I detail this in my prior book, Challenging Casanova. Um, the reality of male promiscuity follows what I think of as the 25-15-5 pattern of partners. When we do surveys uh, with undergraduate men and undergraduate women on college campuses, so mostly 18 and 19-year-olds, typically in intro to psych or intro to sociology classes, about 25% of young men say that they would like to have two or more sexual partners in the next 30 days. That's way more than, than women say. You get about 6% of women who say that. But it's mm-hmm. only 25% of men. 75% of young men on college campuses, living away from home, unmarried, 75% of those guys say that they want either zero or one sexual partner in the next 30 days. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we kind of, we don't know in many cases that that's what the majority are saying. And, or we look at the difference between men and women and think, oh, all guys want sex, but it's not. It's just this minority, this 25%. When we look at the the public health data and the psychology data and the sociology data, data, about 15% of guys say that they've had three or more sexual partners in the last 12 months, and that number drops to about 5% if we talk about guys who have had three or more partners for each of the last three years. So Hmm. most guys are not having that many partners. Um, but we've convinced right. ourselves otherwise. Right. Oh, it's such a good point, and it's important to hear the numbers. Because the other thing that I really think at times, and this affects both young women and young men, both stimulates and intimidates, is the media. I mean, in the movies or the series, Andrew, no one has to really ask much. People are all of a sudden look at each other, then they're in a closet ripping each other's clothes off. <laughs> No questions about protection that you have. You ever right. heard in a movie someone say, "Do you have a condom?" Never. So the, the 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 TV and the media is just not quite the message that really is real or viable for a young man, much less the the young women, to use as any kind of example. Absolutely, and not only is most of our media biased towards. Um, these riskier forms of sex with no protection and no discussion of history, uh, the media, American media at least, also promote uh, the idea that you're only ever going to have sex before you're married and that once you're married or even engaged, that all goes away somehow, which, That's again, true. does not match the statistics. Um, That's true. Yeah. Now, so we, we have a very you- distorted view. Now, one of the important things I want listeners to know um, is that this book is intended really from boys from about 13 years on, right? I mean, yeah. you're really trying to trying to help young men, even when they're really just first at the beginning of the um, being interested in sexuality, being concerned about their own bodies, wondering what they can or they should do. So, I mean, that's that's really one of the things that makes this book so different. Thank you. Yeah, it's really, in, in my head, I'm writing for 13 to 16-year-olds. I know that there are some older t- teens and even some 20-somethings who may find it very useful. But part of my goal here was to, first off, as you said in the intro, provide a book for a group that doesn't have a book. Um, and second, to really help give boys a framework and an understanding 
for both the relational parts of this and the sexual parts of this. Hmm. Um, and again, you mentioned kind of stereotypically girls talk about this all the time and what the media pushes. If you look at the TV shows and the movies that are favored by teenage boys, there is very little discussion about how relationships work, whether those are romantic relationships or even friendships. Um, hmm. But if you look at things that are marketed towards girls and things that have a large female audience, shows like uh, Pretty Little Liars or Gilmore Girls or 90210, half the show is about how relationships work. Interesting, Um, yes. Yeah. That's so interesting. I I wanted to tell you that even yesterday on NPR, Peggy Ornstein, um, she wrote the book on girls and sex. She was the guest. And what she concluded was they were talking all about young women and harassment. She said, we need... We need to, we've talked enough to the girls, we now need to talk to the boys. We need to inform the boys. And I thought, how relevant is your book, Andrew? Because that's (laughs) exactly what you're finally doing. Yeah, we've spent a long time kind of talking to everyone broadly, saying we need to do this different. We've talked to girls at great length in order to give them messages beyond you know, you don't have to be this this waif who waits for the boy and all of that. But we have not, as a culture, really spent any significant time talking to the boys about what they can do differently and what it looks like to do dating in a way that, you know, resembles something other than the movie Grease. Right. Okay, so let's, let's ha- assume that a young man's reading your book and his question is, A, you know, how do I ask someone out? And I don't want to ask my friends first, and I don't want to be embarrassed or end up being having cyberbullying. And how do I become sexual? What what am I supposed to do? So, what are some of the things they would read about? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I'm going to take those in order. In chapter two, they would read a lot about how to figure out who likes you, and also how to figure out who you like. Um, So there's some discussion about how to read and recognize body language that um, as adults we might call flirting and as teens we might call flirting. But again, that's a lesson that boys often don't learn. You know, all of a sudden some girl is sitting next to me. Why is that? You know, is that a sign of interest or flirting or or what? Um, There's also some discussion and a lovely graphic by Holly Swenson, my illustrator, um, uh, and kind of a flowchart on what do you need to prepare in order to ask somebody out. Because if you say, hey, let's get together, and that person says, great, you, can't, you don't want to be that guy who goes, uh, okay, I'll text you later with details. You need to, have, <laughs> right? you, right, you need to be prepared, right. and you need, you need to have that, <laughs> that kind of second question ready to go. Um, so that gets detailed, uh, kind of work through a lot of that content in the second chapter, and then not till chapter seven um, do I talk about uh, what it's like to be sexual with a partner. And that chapter goes through a whole range of behaviors, starting with kissing and holding hands, which are both signifiers of relationships as well as being sexual, um, all the way through various types of sex. And there's a, num- there's a kind of worksheet in the book that boys can fill in to help determine if they're ready and why they think they're ready for any particular sexual behavior. 
um, mm. as well as a chapter on how to ask your partner about doing those things. Mm. One of the things I loved in, in, in terms of this process of asking and even becoming a little bit more sexual, whether it's to kiss someone uh, or to touch someone, is you. this was exactly what I think um, boys would do too, is they might say to the girl or the boy, whoever their partner was, do you want to do it? <laughs> now that leaves oh, everyone in a rather tenuous spot. Because she's not going to say, what do you mean? Because she's anxious too. Um, so those are the kind of points that I think are golden in this book. Because you explain, you know, where are we going with this? And the last thing you want to do is assume she just gave you consent to touch her when that was never what she intended. Absolutely. And it's one of the the things that I certainly work through with clients and and discuss uh, when I have the occasion to be in front of a, a classroom or in an auditorium is that you need to be clear what you're asking about. You know, I always joke around and I use this example sometimes. You know, you're ordering pizza with a bunch of friends and, you know, you say, okay, what does everybody like on their pizza? And everybody goes, oh, I don't know, get whatever, I don't care. Um, to which I always respond with anchovies. And it's amazing that when I say, suggest getting anchovies on pizza, everybody all of a sudden has an opinion when they didn't have one <laughs> a minute before. Right, um, right. And, and it's the same kind of thing here. Like, do you want to do it? doesn't really give anybody any useful information. Um, and so being specific about what it is that you want to do um, is really important from a, a consent and legal uh, side, but also on the relational side. Like, you know, you need to let your partner know what it is that you are looking for and what you want. And you also need to let your partner know what you don't want because boys can say no. It, you know, we go back to the stereotype of guys always want sex. We don't talk right. to boys about their ability to say no, and that's important here as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, we're going to have to take a break, but one of my favorite things that you do is say, one thing not to do to ask for a date is do not sext a picture of your genitals <laughs> as as meaning would you like to go on a date that's not going anywhere good so we're going to take a quick break uh, you, you've been listening to psych up live and we're speaking with dr andrew smiley he's the author of the new and very important book dating and sex a guide for the 21st century teen boy stay with us Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know that you're looking for more. You want a more fulfilling life and don't know how to free yourself from the proverbial rut. Tune in to Wake Up and Listen with co-hosts Don Burnett and Dr. Don. 
With engaging discussion and some fun too, Don and Dr. Don will help you bring harmony into your life, improve your relationships, release those fears, and get you unstuck. Wake Up and Listen can be heard live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Andrew Smiler, and we're really looking closely at what boys don't talk much about, parents often don't think about, and that is dating and sex. Now, we left the last segment saying one one bit of advice that Andrew gives is when it comes to asking someone for a date, sexting a picture of your genital is not a good idea. But even you know, in a very serious vein, one of the things that I found very important about this book was that it gave information. I mean, sometimes young people end up in a compromising situation that has legal ramifications and they're startled by it. And I think um, <clears throat> in two cases, Andrew talks about that with with respect to consent and with respect to sexting. And I wondered if you could share a little bit of that for the parents and the young people listening. Sure. And this is uh, an amazingly important and surprisingly complex topic. Um, I live here in North Carolina and there's a, a legal case currently proceeding against a teen boy. He's 17 now. Um, but about a year ago, he and his then 16-year-old girlfriend exchanged naked picture, pictures of each other. So they sexted. Um, they were a couple. The state of North Carolina says that it's legal for 16-year-olds to have sex with each other. But the state of North Carolina also says that distributing, owning a naked picture of a legal minor, someone who is under 18, is is child pornography. And I don't know exactly how they got found out, um, but they were both charged with possession of child pornography. And he was charged with distribution because he had sent that picture of his girlfriend that she had willingly given him to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, from their pers- from the perspective of the 16-year-old, I'm sure that they were not thinking about this at all, and they certainly weren't thinking about it as child pornography. Um, but their the fact that they didn't think about it that way uh, is not a d- legal defense, and so they have both been charged. Um, he's been fighting it. She accepted 
some kind of plea deal. Um, but, you know, he's, he's facing the risk of being labeled a sexual predator um, mm-hmm. because that's the way the, le- the law, legal part works here. Um, and that's something that, you know, most teenagers aren't thinking about when, when they're exchanging these kinds of pictures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's really so important, and it's almost frightening to think that um, the young people don't know and even the parents don't know. I think a similar thing goes on with consent, and it gets so murky sometimes when we end up with some sort of harassment or rape charge because um, in, in the throes of the moment, with the sometimes young people are so anxious, they really do drink before they hook up or before they are together. And then the question of, um, do you want to do it, which becomes much more than either of them wanted, two days later becomes something I never wanted and he forced on me. So the whole idea of the importance of consent and how to give it along the way, Andrew, I mean, how can we help young people with that? Right, and that's, that's a, a great question. And there, again, there's a lot of uh, difficult legal bits uh, one of the things that I tell boys, again, is to be very specific about what you're asking for. You know, if you, if you look at your partner and say, do you want to have sex, that's, and your partner says yes, that's very different than, well, I looked at my partner and said, do you want to do it? And my partner said yes, because legally it doesn't have a whole lot of meaning, but have sex does have a legal meaning, and there would be clear consent there. Um, we also know that different states and different courts have very different standards for what qualifies as consent in some parts of the U.S. The absence of no might be acceptable as consent. In other parts, it needs to be an explicit verbal yes, um, which means that if you ask your partner, again, in some states, if you ask your partner, do you want to have sex, and your partner jumps you but doesn't say yes, in theory, that could still be legally problematic. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, boys need to ask yes, or boys need to ask specifically. I said girls, if they're the ones asking. Um, mm-hmm. And they also really, kind of to be legally safe, should wait for a verbal yes, even if it feels silly, even if you have to kind of prompt your partner, like, okay, you're jumping me. Does that mean yes? Um, you know, should this get into a legal situation somehow, um, you kind of want to be covered. And, and there are ways in which it is sad that we need to talk about legal coverage there, but that is part of the way things have gone. Um, I also want to point out that boys have the ability to say no here. Um, we, we shouldn't just assume that boys are the ones asking. There are times right. when boys are the ones who get asked, and, and they can certainly say yes or no as they please. I think that's a very, very good point to make. They are not always the ones that are asking, and they do end up in compromising situations. Um, and sometimes the question of safe sex is lost in the shuffle um, by both partners. Um, the other thing, I, I, I actually think that you make the point, if you can't talk about it, you may not be ready for it. I think that's such a great point that you make. If you can't name or say the body part, Maybe you're not ready for it, and you really underscore for young boys, especially high school boys, that's okay. Maybe both partners 
um, really just want to be kissing. And maybe regardless of what they've seen on TV in the film or what they think their friends think they're doing, that is not a mandate that they have to go to a place sexually that neither are ready to go to. Absolutely. And it's very important that um, boys kind of recognize and respect where they're at and what they're comfortable with and what their limits are, um, as well as their partners. And the... you know, the kind of rule of thumb there of if you can't say that word, whether that's a sexual act or a body part, if you can't say that word out loud, you're probably not ready. That's a pretty good indicator and a pretty easy one for folks to understand and for boys mm-hmm. to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, and there's I, certainly a lot of pressure that teen boys and certainly young men, as well as, as teen girls and young women, there's a lot of pressure that people feel to, to perhaps be more sexually experienced than they actually are um, because not being experienced is kind of uncool in current culture. Absolutely. And I think sometimes the parents somehow think the kids magically know. Um, and the fact that they've, the kids have seen shows or watched porn does not equate to magically knowing. In fact, it often equates to being very confused and, and, and even intimidated. Um, I, I want to say to the listeners that this is not a book that is just general information. Even the illustrations are done with a kind of cartooning that you'd find in the back of a boy's notebook. So it is so appealing to a kid because one of the things that Dr. Smiler does is he's very specific. If you ask this, if you call and then realize maybe I should say what we're going to do if we go on the date, if you decide that I really this is just too much for me. I don't even want to date at so much pressure. That's allowed. I think you're very specific in the book, and that's what makes it so such a real godsend to the to the kids because who's answering these questions? I don't think anybody is. I know as a mother of sons, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. I, uh, part of the goal in writing the, the book, and especially thinking about 13 to 16-year-olds, was to give them both some general principles, like if you can't say the word out loud, you're not ready to do it, um, as, as well as a lot of specifics on, you know, this is what you might say to ask somebody out, and this is, these are the things you need to think about and kind of have an answer for before you ask somebody out. Or this is, you know, here are uh, four or five of the reasons why people date and, and become somebody's boyfriend, and here are two, th- two or three reasons why people have those kind of one-time hookups that we hear about in culture and, and see on screens. Um, so the boys really get some details as well as a few guiding principles to help shape their development. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I want to give an example that I gave to my doctoral students from your book, and that is, I said, uh, when he goes to the section on sexting, his overall question is, when in doubt, don't do it. And I will tell you that I've been in the position as a therapist where parents have come completely overwhelmed with the fact that their son or daughter has come to reveal to them that they were sexting with someone and that it has gone public. 
And so one of the your your examples of A, you may not continue to date this person. B, how often do we see even adults, but particularly teens, grab each other's phones out of each other's hands and flip through each other's pictures. There's no privacy when it comes to phones. So even raising consciousness, Andrew, about how dangerous that kind of visual, I want to say, or acting out, the selfie acting out, really can become is a really, you really underscore it very well. And it really, I've seen it on my end, become a major problem for people. Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the, in that, that part of the book where I'm talking about sexting, which I think happens in both the consent chapter and um, elsewhere, was to really get boys and their parents, if the parents are reading this, to think about sexting as something beyond just sending dick pics. Because, you know, we've all heard about um, our various politicians and whatnot who have done that. But, really? you know, kind of from, from the most literal definition of sexting, like, saying, hey, let's get together and have sex, if you're doing that via a text message, like, isn't that sexting? You know, we, mm. we have these images that um, teens and young adults and other folks who are kind of hip and in the know use, like an eggplant or a flower um, to represent different body parts there. Uh-huh. You know, if you're sending that, is that sexting? Is that okay? You know, and then... Uh, the example you mentioned, getting boys to think about the fact that other people are going to see their phones, whether it's their friends grabbing out of their hands or their parents or, you know, I certainly have a number of teens or young adults who kind of out themselves to their friends by making sure that, you know, I know that, that my sweetie is going to text me and I'm going to leave my phone on the table and face up so that everybody sees that text message come in. Um, right. There, there's a lot going on there. And as parents um, or adults, you know, we tend to think about, you know, that, that worst case scenario of a picture without thinking about all of the other ways that texting gets used and that people mm-hmm. can be sexual while texting. Mm-hmm. Really important. You know, one of the other things that you talk about, a, a really important chapter, is the question that, in this case, we're talking about young men ask, which is, how do I know my sexual orientation? Um, how do I know if I'm straight or gay? Uh, who would I even ask? And the anxiety that goes with not knowing and not knowing if um, wanting to hang around with boys means, does that mean I'm gay? So, I mean, do do young people come to you or did, how do you find... I have had young people come to me, but I wondered, I, I thought that was a very important part of the book. Thanks. Yeah, I do. Uh, I always have a few clients on my caseload who um, either come in to therapy because they want to be here or because their parents have told them to go to therapy, mm-hmm. um, who really aren't sure about their sexual orientation or not sure about what they like or who they like. Um, and there are a couple places in development where we as parents get a, may get a peek at this. Often around six, kids report um, some kind of first crushes. And then somewhere around 10, 11, 12, grades 5, 6, there's often another round of that. Um, and then once kids to puberty and into the teen years, we get some more glimpses of it. Um, so it shows up a couple of different times, and the content is age-appropriate, so it can be very different. 
Mm. Um, but part of what I ask uh, the kids who show up in my in my office, and, and this is in the book as well, is you know when you're fantasizing, who are you fantasizing about? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is is that other guys? Is it girls? Is it you know both? Depends on the moment. Um, and what are you fantasizing about doing with those folks? And you know, as you go through the day, who do you notice? You know that that you that strikes you as attractive, um, and mm-hmm. not just attractive and kind of abstract, but really the like, oh, that's something I pay attention to. Because um, mm-hmm. those are the indicators that we all have, whether whether we identify as straight or gay or queer or something else. Um, mm-hmm. but, but again, we don't tend to spell them out in those words for kids. So that's, that's part of what I tried to do in that chapter. And those are questions that we as adults can ask as well. Well, those immediately give a youngster objective criteria that they really can take a, that gives them a kind of backdrop to consider what they're worried about. That's what makes the book really so relevant is because you've really kind of deciphered down, distilled down questions that would really make a difference. You know, as we're talking about, yeah, it's really very, very well done. As we're talking about this, so I'm wondering if parents are thinking, well, I don't, I don't, how would I do this with my kids? Should I read the book and then ask them these questions? Should we read it together? I mentioned at the beginning of the show having sons that I think if I said, hey, I know this guy, he's terrific. I think you should read this book, Dating and Sex. There's no way they would have read this book. So one of the things that, you know, we're going to do, we're just about out of time in this section when we come back is let's talk about how would parents be better um, clarifiers for their children? How would they help? What type of information should they know to pass on without feeling like they're intruding or voyeuristic? Um, What's the best way for parents to be specific to use this book? Um, And how can it help both parents and children? We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. And we're speaking with Dr. Andrew Smiler. He's an expert in male masculinity, and this his new book is Dating and Sex, A Guide for the 21st Century Teen Boy. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are seeking more confidence, it is time to feel good naked. That's the name of the radio show hosted by Laura Redmond. Each week, Laura and her guest experts are here to help you be you. 
In order to be truly successful and happy, you need self-confidence, self-love, and self-respect. Feel Good Naked Radio will teach you how to embrace these qualities and make your life more fulfilling and meaningful. Listen live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be proud of who you really are from the inside out. Hoarding has become a tremendous issue worldwide, not just for those who hoard, but for the people who love and care about them. On Take Back Your Life, when your things are taking over, host Elaine Birchall helps you to understand and get unstuck from the clutter in your life, no matter how severe. Our program brings you practical strategies to help you get started and maintain your goals. Listen live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. And we've had really, we've been having a very important and fascinating conversation with Dr. Andrew Smiler. He's the author of the new book, Dating and Sex, A Guide for the 21st Century Teen Boy. And before we even discuss how parents can step in and use the book, I want to ask you, how could our listeners order the book, read more? Your blogs are great. Read your other books. How could they find you? Thank you. Uh, they can find me online at andrewsmiler.com, just my name, um, or they can search me. I'll come up, me and a barrister in England, and hopefully folks can figure out who's who. Uh, they can find the book anywhere, almost anywhere that books are sold. Um, online, they can get it through Amazon, which is also the Kindle edition, through Barnes & Noble, through IndieBound. They can also get it directly from the publisher, which is Imagination, like Imagination, but with no I in the front. Um, and the publisher always is in stock and has free shipping throughout the United States. Terrific. Um, and that's a division of the American Psychological Association. They don't just pick up any book to publish. So this is a really very good book. Um, so the question that we were talking about was if, if, if I was a parent listening now, I'd be wondering, what should I do? What should be my first step? Should I read the book? Should I hand it to a kid? Let's go with that, Andrew. How should a parent proceed with this important idea that we need to talk and inform young men about dating and sex? Oh, since we just did the selling part, I'll say buy two, one for yourself and one for your son. Okay. Um, so you can, re- you can read it and your son can read it and you can potentially compare notes, go chapter by chapter, um, whatever makes sense for the two of you. Um, but that mm. way you know what's in the book and your son dies. And you don't have to borrow it back or wait for him to borrow it back from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would encourage the dual reading there. Um, so that's, that's one piece. I do encourage parents to read the book for a couple of reasons. One is that it gives parents a sense of what's age-appropriate information for, again, a relatively younger teen. It's aimed at 13 to 16-year-old boys. 
It gives mm-hmm. parents some of the factual information, and it gives parents some wording and some questions that they can ask their sons. Um, I certainly, you know, I ask boys a lot of questions in the book, encourage them to think about things. Parents can use that wording or, or play off that wording, but it, it provides a lot of starting points for conversation in that way. Andrew, how would you introduce the, the literal giving of the book to your son? I mean, what would you say when you were actually handing them the book or saying, I read the book? Like, what would you literally say? Um, I would encourage parents to, to actually do that handoff and give the book to their kids. Um, mm-hmm. While I think it makes a lovely Hanukkah or Christmas present, this is probably not the book that your boy wants to be opening in front of the rest of the family. <laughs> right. Um, right? Um, so I, I would hand it to my son and say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you have started to think about dating people or being sexual with people. I know that this is something that starts for most kids as teens, and here's a book that I think you'll find very helpful. I have also read it, or I also have a copy, and I'm reading it, um, and I'm going to start to talk about this kind of stuff with you um, as we go through the next couple of months, next couple of years, because this is going to be, uh, this is probably going to be part of your life and an increasingly important part of your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, now, do you think it matters? I mean, we have loads of, of course, we have loads of um, single-family um homes, we have people, many people, kids go back and forth between divorced parents. You suggest that anyone in particular with, with a male, is a male preferable? Could a mom do it just as well? Um, that's a great question. It's one that I get a lot. What we know from the, about the last 30 years worth of research onto uh, this topic is that for most boys, somewhere around 75, 80, maybe even 85 percent, they don't care who they have the conversation with as far as whether mm. that's a male or a female, mom or dad or someone else. The most important thing for most boys is that the person they're going to talk to dating sex about is someone that they trust, someone whose information um, they believe will be accurate and honest, and someone who they think is going to take them seriously and not make fun of them if they don't know. Um, Great. That, mm. That's the majority of boys. So that can be either mom or dad or aunt or uncle or whomever. Um, mm. There is a segment of boys out there, 10 or 20%, who really want to have this conversation um, with an adult male or maybe a, an older brother who is notably right. older. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the minority of boys. See, what I think the book offers, the parent, whichever one, they, it really offers an opportunity for you to feel informed so that when you pass this book off and say, I, this was really this was really an interesting book, I, you know, I think it's something that you're going to find very interesting, um, I think a parent's going to feel more confident handing this book off because you'll see, you just, once you read it, you'll see how well it speaks to young people. So, and I agree, I think even in my office over many, many years of practice, um, I probably have as many uh, male patients as female, and there's there's a reason that they'll say, I just always found it easier to talk to a female, or um, 
when it comes to things like this, I never thought I could talk to a female, but there was no male around. So I, I, I like what you're saying. It's really whoever has that easygoing conversation with a teen because um, we, we've got to work through the barrier of resistance and intimidation or embarrassment. Right. And we certainly, you know, our, our image of male sexuality is that guys know everything. And we know we also push boys to not show weakness and ignorance is a weakness. So if you're a 14 year old boy and you have grown up having this notion that you should know all about sex and you can't ask because that's a sign of weakness, then you've got a problem if you really kind of buy into that stereotype. And at 14, most boys at least kind of buy into that stereotype because they don't really know much different yet. Um, But we also teach them that they can be a little bit more vulnerable with girls and women. So it's often easier to start those kinds of conversations um, with women than men or with mom than dad. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really important and interesting. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention on this show, as my lead-off, I talked about the media and the amount of women coming forward with accusations about sexual harassment, sexual violation, etc. One of the things you make very clear, and I've experienced it in terms of my work with some very, very fine men and young adult men, is not women are not the only victims of sexual harassment and violation. And you make it clear, I mean, the statistics are pretty interesting, right? I mean, how many young men would never know? They're not the only one who, at the extreme, has been raped or has certainly been violated in some way. Yeah, it, it is a, a very important point. I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you. The, the same federal survey that tells us that something like one in four women has been or will be sexually assaulted or raped tells us that the same number for men is one in six. That's about 16%. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a study that was published about, four, uh, about three years ago, excuse me, that indicated that 40% of young men, in this case high school age or undergraduates in college, reported that they had either been assaulted or coerced into some type of sexual activity. Um, so again, either explicitly no consent or... Um, what we sometimes call pseudo-consent, which is consent when you don't really have a choice and it's just mm-hmm. a kind of formality. Um, mm. there, are, there are a number of places where uh, guys can get help, and we know that the, the experience and its negative outcomes like depression or anxiety or PTSD, um, those are the same whether you're male or female. Victimization is victimization. Um, we know that it's harder for guys to come out. I am on the board of a national organization called malesurvivor.org that uh, provides online peer support for uh, male victims of sexual assault. And we'll throw out uh, for the audience there that um, we do require that folks be 18 or older to access those discussion boards. But there's also a section on there for parents whose sons have been uh, sexually assaulted or raped. Uh, I think, oh, that's wonderful, and I'm glad you put it out there, because if a parent feels they don't know where to go, that certainly is an option. The other thing, and that's an example of what the book does, is the book raises consciousness and sometimes is startlingly important to a kid who thinks 
he's the only one. And there's so much, I've never met a victim who doesn't feel shame or some self-blame. So if we could lighten the load of a youngster's growing up years, that's certainly what we want to do. Absolutely. Mm. Um, well, I mean, I add one other thing, and I'm going to shift here. Um, you had mentioned uh, a lot of information for parents and, and a lot of uh, kind of information of the sort that I just gave. One of the things that I made a real effort to do in the book is repeatedly point out that um, the readers are not alone, that the, there is no kind of right answer to what is what is good sexuality or what should I do sexually or what should I do relationally. Um, and from the data and the research that we have, there are often three or four answers to the question of what's normal when it comes to dating or being sexual or whatever. And so one of the things I tried to do, it's usually the last section of each chapter, is spell out here are the three or four things that are the most common versions of what's normal or what's typical. Um, mm. as a way to help boys understand that they are not alone. Mm. I think that that's a wonderful take-home message that um, that you're giving is that they're not alone and their parents are not alone in wanting to help and at times not knowing exactly how. Excellent. Thank you. It is really important because a lot of boys feel like worry about, you know, are they normal and are they doing the right thing? And the reality is that um, there really isn't any single answer to what's normal or what's common. Okay. Um, we're, we're just about out of time. I want you to know, Dr. Smiler, I think this is a wonderful contribution, this book. I think if we ever needed it in the culture, this is the time. And uh, it's so well done. I want to thank you, Um you know, and I want to thank our listeners for, for listening in today, but thank you for a wonderful book, um, Dr. Smiler. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on the show, So, Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, so for our listeners, remember, you can hear this show as a podcast and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, on my website, but probably be even more convenient for you on the free podcast app of your iPhone. Just go to Voice America and Psych Up Live. It's also on iTunes, Sketcha. So there's an easy way to get this podcast, and it's one that I think you'd want to pass on. Remember, you can drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Next week, filmmaker Susan Ciprell joins us to discuss her powerful new documentary, Soldier On, Life Post-Deployment. She follows the lives of three women who served in the military Tune in. It's it's a discussion. She'll even have one of those women on the show with her. It's a discussion you'll want to hear. Until then, please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thank you.